Whilst we get ready, won't you open up your Bibles or your devices to Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Could I just ask uh, for Debbie and Eddie Brown and uh, Rico and Tracy to be here just to stand up quickly? Where you are, stand up. There we go. Let's have a quick squeeze around. Come on, Rico. Could you give these guys a round of applause, please? I just say standing. <laughs> they don't know why. I'm going to tell you, Debbie. But I just want to say every single one of these people on stage are part of a small group, and they're part of your two. And I just want to say they have flourished under your care. And just on behalf of, I know you're standing, but on behalf of all the small group leaders here, I just want to thank you for what you do and for the results of Christ's growth in the lives that you serve. And I just want to say, well done. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Give them, yeah, give them a round of applause. All right. I am feeling somewhat, not only privileged, but uh, weak this morning because who can speak on the transfiguration of Jesus? I mean, is there language enough to describe what these three disciples saw? And I'm going to do my best trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. And uh, today, let's pick up at the very end of chapter 8, verse 38. It should come up on the screen as well. And uh, we're going to look at this thing called, or this moment called the transfiguration of Jesus. It is just too awesome. And uh, let's start at Mark chapter 8, verse 38. This is Jesus speaking. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, that means take me seriously, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, notice Mark counts for us, after six days from what Jesus had just said, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus <laughs> and Peter said to Jesus rabbi it is good that we are here <laughs> I love Peter let us make three tents one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah for he did not know what to say for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Imagine that. Could you keep that a secret? Wow until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? 
And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did, not, did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Friends, this morning, I want to point out that you mustn't take the chapter and verse numbers in your Bible very seriously. They were added much later, and sometimes they can be a help, but sometimes they can be a hindrance. And in this case, they're a hindrance. Because chapter 9, for some reason, falls slap bang in the middle of a discourse that Jesus is having with a crowd that's listening. And the whole thing joins together. And that's why I started with Mark chapter 8, verse 38, to Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus is saying, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this wicked and sinful, or sinful and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed, or the Son of Man, let me read it, will be ashamed, also be ashamed, when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. He's predicting a coming that's going to be glorious. Christmas, we celebrate Him coming born as a little tiny weak baby. Let me tell you, this moment that Jesus is speaking of is going to be altogether greater and more glorious in public. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1, he links it. And he says, after saying this exact statement that he's going to come in glory with the holy angels, he says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until the kingdom of God has come in power. Now, just imagine for a moment that was you standing in the crowd. There's someone here today, before they die, is going to catch a little glimpse of this. Wouldn't that be exciting if it was you? I would be sitting there going, it could be me. And be going, I wonder what that would look like. And what's really special is this whole talk of Jesus' second coming and then saying, hey, I'm going to give you a foretaste. Some of you are going to see it before you die. Is linked to verse 2 of chapter 9 where it says, six days later. Now what Mark is doing when he says six days later after making the statement that some of you are going to see He's saying, hey, whoever's reading this this morning, I'm linking what's just about to happen with this glorious transfiguration of Jesus and his second coming. And so I want you to notice, when you read your Bible, follow the flow. Don't follow the chapters and number because the secret of understanding or the key to understanding the transfiguration is Christ linking it to his second coming. And friends, we are going to learn just a little bit more about this glorious day. I don't have words. I'm going to do my best today to try and describe the glory of Jesus Christ that's going to be revealed when he comes in glory with the angels and the, the, the Father uh, sanctioning his divinity and his messiahship. But this morning, I want to unpack just four things that we can see from the trigger, transfiguration that prepare us for the second coming and this is not some abstract moment for the disciples. I want you to think about this very carefully. The reason why this transfiguration or this foretaste of glory happened for the disciples was it was to have an application, a translation into their every single day life. And the same is true today. If you leave this morning thinking that was nice for Peter, James, and John, but it has got no translation into your everyday life. Either I failed or you didn't hear. Because today, friends, if we live in the light 
of this evidence of the transfiguration, it will change your life. It is profound. And there's so much to say, but I've, I've whittled it down to four things that I want us to look at. Um, the first is this. Is this transfiguration teaches us about the second coming. And it teaches us that the, the second coming is certain. It is definitely going to happen. Now, do you notice what Jesus says in verse 38 of chapter 8? He says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes. He doesn't say if he comes. He says he's coming. He's going to come again. And it is a set date that the Father has planned, but it's coming. And the very next verse of chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Some of you are going to see it beforehand, before you die. And in verse 2 of chapter 9, Six days later, Peter, James, and John see him with this little teaser, this little preview role of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes on that day. And the first thing I need you to see this morning is that the transfiguration is an added proof. It is a certainty. It is giving you an assurance, not just by the Word of God and its predictions, but because of this unveiling, this unzipping, this preview reel of Jesus coming and showing his glory to these disciples, he's saying, guys, this morning, you need to know it's going to happen even if it takes a long time. And the reason why this is so important for us is because we can live as though it's never going to happen. We can live as though this is just going to be some abstract theory. I did a funeral yesterday of Gerald Lasher, amazing guy. Love Jesus. But I said to the family on Wednesday, when we were preparing for it, in our prayer time, I said, I said, I reminded them, I said, guys, we're doing all of our planning, but I want to remind you, Jesus might come before Saturday, and we'll throw the celebrations in heaven with Gerald. We'll see him there face to face. You see, the way we can live is we have our little diaries, right? We plan our Decembers. We plan our holidays. We plan our, our future graduation dates. I mean, our before my kids were born, our, our financial advisor, you better start saving for varsity because it's going to cost you the arm and a leg. We, we live our lives, we plan our lives in such a way where the second coming is just a theory and it's not even an afterthought. It's something that we forget. And friends, if we will learn the wisdom of James, it's not the same James, it's the brother of Jesus who wrote the text which says, don't say tomorrow I'm going to do this and this and this. Don't say tomorrow I'm going to go and sell this. I'm going to. He says, no, no, if the Lord wills it. In, a, in other words, your life is potentially going to be interrupted either by a sovereign hand of God saying, oh, you're not going to go there because I want you to go here. But even bigger than that is the greatest interruption that's going to happen on planet Earth when Jesus Christ comes at the blowing of trumpets and the clouds are going to part and this King of kings and Lord of lords is going to enter from the skies and the whole earth is going to shake and those that are ready for him by faith are going to be caught up and come down with him. Oh, but those who are not are going to be hiding behind stones and asking the rocks to hide them because of the glory of the Son of God. Friends, I want to remind you that these disciples got the fulfillment of Christ's prediction that some were not going to die before they see the kingdom of God come in power just six days after its prediction. I want to say to you, it could be six days after this preach today. At any moment in your life, 
You make your plans with friends, you submit them to not only the sovereignty of God, but the reality that the second coming could come at any moment. And the whole application of this is, are you ready for it? Because we can live our lives in such a way where we ignore the reality of this day. And what that means is, we prioritize things that are temporary over things that are eternal. What we start to do is we evaluate what we value and prioritize in this life according to what is passing away because we think this life in terms of timeline and space is vastly more important than the eternal glory awaiting those who believe in Jesus Christ. What is the application? Do you know by living in the certainty of the second coming, you start to realize there's a full stop to every trial, that the house that you've built, that the car that you own, that the degree that you've worked so hard to achieve, that the business that you've poured hours and hours into, my friends, you are not going to take a single bit of it when you stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Only what is done for the kingdom in those things, only as you've used the talents that God has given you in those things for the glory of Jesus Christ is going to get praise, glory, and honor on that day. Amen. Let me tell you this morning, 8 o'clock, it is going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious more than the brokenness of this world. Friends, we must not let the disappointments of this world rob us of certainty of what is assured in the next. We must not let the failures of marriages, the failures of business relationships, the brokenness of health, these things that disappoint the human heart. Oh, no, no. We don't let those characterize the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus is sealed. It is coming. It's going to be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's the Lord of lords and King of kings. And this morning, I want to speak to your heart. Are you in some trial? Are you in some difficulty? Are you in some misunderstanding? Are you, is your heart attempting to say, oh, it's all useless. What's the point? I'll tell you what the point is. It's going to pass away, my friend. And how you stand for Jesus is going to echo. And on that day, all that's done for the glory of Christ will be honored by Him. The reason why the second coming is so important is it gives hope to suffer. You know what I learned on Wednesday night at our small group? Was having to read the text that Joe preached on last week. Do you know that Jesus suffered? And it was not for nothing. It was that he may be made perfect without sin. He had to be perfected as a savior through suffering. Oh, but it wasn't suffering just so that we can say, poor Jesus. Oh, no, no, my friend. When you see the cross and the glory of obedience and the glory of faithfulness to this God in heaven, who's going to say to you, well done, when you say, this voice is what I live by. This voice is what I give us. This confidence in the Son of God and His precious and great promises. On that day, you will receive such a commendation. This world will feel like nothing in comparison to it. I ask you today, you're in trouble. Well, join the club because Jesus was. And I don't mean that flippantly, but I want to say, how are you going to stand in that trouble? Because friends, what God is trying to do in birth and you to say, as you stand for Jesus in this life, you're not living in this is all that it is. And if you lose a little bit on this life, oh, you've lost something forever. No, no, no. If you are willing to take up your cross, as Joe preached last week, if you're willing to identify with the pathway of Jesus, you don't lose, you gain. You know what I'm tired of in my own life? and I'm sure you can recognize it in yours, is a way of living where you think God is stingy. Where you think I'm missing out if I don't partake in all the revelry and pleasure that He's not permitted to me as a Christian. 
when I want to be self sorry for myself and, and feel, feel so, uh, throw a little pity party. When you, you know, we, we grumble and we complain. Friends, today, if you remember the second coming, it gives meaning to life. It gives meaning to delay. It gives meaning to suffering. It gives us a sense of a certainty that what we are giving ourselves to is eternal and it's going to win. I ask you this morning, how small is your life? You can live like a cramped Christian. What will give you hope to stand, to trust the glory of this Jesus Christ, to abide in his word, to pray with a fervency for revival, to see that this kingdom is going to stand forever, is what we need to live under, what we need to live for, and what we need to expect that could come into any moment. I want to invite you this morning. The transfiguration is seeing a much greater, glorious picture of Jesus than something that you just take off the shelf of religion and hold when you need some comfort. The call of Jesus Christ, my friend, is on your life. And every day is a gift because it was six days for these disciples. Oh, how much, how, it might come tonight. It might come at 12 o'clock. I don't know, but I tell you, I want to be ready and I want to be living for that day because that day ushers me into what really matters. An eternity with Jesus Christ. Sickness will be beaten. Sin will be abolished. Suffering will be a thing of the past. Don't think that this suffering is going to characterize your life forever. The reason why Jesus could say the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He could see that on the other side, this is going to be a distant memory, but what it's achieving for the glory and greatness of God far outweighed, far outweighed the present sufferings of this time. The transfiguration is to give you a sense of your faith being attached to a much greater Savior than the one who kind of helps you just eke through everyday life. And the glory of the second coming gives you a hope that makes the world jealous. What I want to ask you this morning is, how would your life look differently today if you lived with an expectation that Christ could come at any moment? That's the crux of today's message. Your time your money, your prayer life, your obedience to God's word, your love for your neighbor, forgiving your enemies. How does your life look today analyzed in the light of the second coming? Friends, do you know what I preached on yesterday at the funeral? It was that amazing Psalm 80 which says, I think it's Moses who prays this. He says, oh Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you want to live a wise life today? It's learning that you've only got a set number of these days. And how are you going to live for Jesus? We must lift our eyes up to the glory of this kingdom. The thing that you must never allow yourself to do, Christian, is to become small-minded. It kills faith. And what these disciples needed to see in the suffering of Jesus, please hear me this morning, what you need to see in your suffering this morning, if God is not taking it away, he might, he's a generous God, but if he's not, notice what Jesus points him to ultimately, is his suffering, oh, but his victory. And your victory is coming. You say, I can't bear it anymore. This relationship, I can't do it. I tell you, you can. Christ will supply what you need to live for him. Do you think he's the God who commands you to be obedient to him and then withholds the means to do it? Let me tell you, 
Jesus' sweat blood. Have you got there yet? Have you? And even in that state of distress, God gave him what he needed to stand. Do you know what the joy of living in the second coming is? Is that what you see then, that capacity of the kingdom to win, gives you courage to stand now, to forgive, to trust God when your prayers are not being answered the way you want, to go in this life. There is an expiry date to you, and my God is faithful. He is faithful. He will provide what I need because at the end of it all, we're going to win. We're going to win. Courage, Christians. Enlarge your eyes upon who Jesus is. Because my second point is he will be vindicated. Praise God. Jesus Christ will be vindicated. That vindication means proved right. Your faith in Jesus, this side of the grave, will be vindicated when he comes again. You will not lose an ounce of reputation in the next life as you face the shame and rejection for believing him in this life. It says in verse 2 and 3 and 7, it says, And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. What is happening here? I, I don't have the language, but this is the best I can do. You spoke about, I had to take my children out, but you spoke about an unveiling. I want to say this morning, this transfiguration moment was an unzipping of Jesus' fullness for the naked eye. You see, up until this point, we've only seen Jesus in the fullness of his humanity. I mean, don't you ever feel like that sometimes? You, you, we're going to have it at the camp. You know, you pick up this little baby, and he's so delicate, and he's so tender. And you say, you know, uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I mean, I, I, I've seen my children, like, drop the doll. Like, you know, you could get a hand in it. You know, it seems so fragile. Mary, please, make sure you bath him and look after him because he could get sick and die. You know, that sort of thing. He's, he's this fragile little guy. You think about the cross. You think about Jesus' weakness. But friends, that is only one part of his nature, one part of his being. Do you know what the transfiguration is going to do for the world? Right now, they, they use Jesus as a swear word. They abuse him. They, they, they treat him as one of their own because they've only seen the fullness of his humanity but the transfiguration is saying, Church of Jesus Christ, don't forget the sight that's going to happen. This unzipping is not only the fullness of his humanity that we've seen, but it's going to be the fullness of his deity. And friends, the, it transforms even the clothes, the elements that he touches. They become radiant. They become white, bleached. His holiness, his outshining gloriness. I tell you now, right now, the world can scoff at Jesus and blaspheme him and treat him as though they're just one of the, the, the chums at the pub that gets kicked out for getting too drunk. They think Jesus is just like him. I like them. Oh, no, on that day, friends, the Philippians says, he may have emptied himself, Philippians chapter 2, but in Philippians chapter 2 carried on, it says this, there's going to come a day because of Christ's obedience and humility that God is going to highly exalt him and bestow on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. His name is going to be cleared 
And what does that mean for you today? Friends, I know what it's like, and you know what it's like to be a little bit ashamed of Jesus. We all like it. We all like that. You know, when you start talking about Jesus at the office, you know, you, you sort of get the awkwardness in the room effect. <laughs> and no matter how hard we try, we've been nice, we lay awake, but as soon as we start talking about Jesus, it's not so easy. The, the verse you must memorize when that fear creeps into your heart is verse 28, 38 of chapter 8. Are you ashamed of him and his words? Because on that day, it says, if we are, Christ will be ashamed of us. What does that mean? Is we will lose honor. Remember, don't just look at the negative of Scripture. Turn it into the positive. The thing that spurs you on when you are having to talk about Jesus. And we don't do it boastfully. We don't do it bash, bashing people. We do it honestly. We say, this is a part of my life. Let me share it with you. Oh, when we do that, there's going to come a day, church, when your faith and your courage to share Jesus is going to be vindicated when he is. You don't shrink back. And in your mind this morning, you must never feel insecure about your faith. Do you know what that insecurity breeds in us? A defensiveness, right? When we feel threatened. But might I remind you this morning that Jesus says, when I'm honored on that day, your faith in me will be honored as well. And just as Christ has to wait for that honoring, so do you. Who in your life at the moment is it tough to share and talk to them, them about Jesus? We did an exercise. A small group has been such a blessing. If you're not in one yet, you have to get into one, right? But my Thursday morning small group, we're talking about our testimonies. And Tuppy, she shared her testimony about how this girl it, that she worked with gave her help for years. Not in, but she said, you've got to come to church. You've got to come and listen. And, and, and eventually, after a year, Tuppy decided to get this girl off her back. She would go. And you know how God works? That night, there was an evangelist at the Methodist church, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And there is Tuppy, decades of experiencing the faithfulness of God, decades of fruitfulness for the kingdom, because this girl would not take a no for an answer. She was very kind. She was very polite, but she was dogged. She was persistent. And she did it for a year. Do you know what her reward will be one day? Is when Tuppy gets to stand before Jesus. Jesus said, well done for sharing your faith. Look at the fruits. I know it's difficult, church, to face confused looks, opposing views, tough questions, but the transfiguration is to make you feel confident that one day, although you might not be able to explain it perfectly, although you might not be able to unzip Jesus for them in the room, don't you worry about it. You live with this confidence that one day, faith in Jesus Christ will be vindicated forever, including yours. But I do want to warn anybody here today, when Jesus comes again, the opportunity for your faith in him is going to be finished. Faith does not come by seeing, friends. Seeing comes by faith. Do you notice the order in this transfiguration? Peter, James, and John weren't saved because they saw Jesus unzipping his glory. They had come to faith already, and it was a confirmation of their faith. It will be true in the second coming. 
that this Jesus Christ will be revealed to the heavens and the earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And on that day, no one will be saved, but those who are saved, their faith will be confirmed. Are you a part of those saved? You will not be saved by believing in the church. You will not be saved by becoming a member of the church. You will not be saved by good intentions and feeling nice and soppy about who God is and trying to love everybody everywhere and be a good person. No, no, no. The only thing that's going to save you, friends, this morning is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on that day, faith in Him will be vindicated in you. Don't put God to the test. I don't know how the kingdom works or why it works this way, but it only advances and comes into your life by faith. Now, if you talk to the Christian who's born again, they will tell you this is absolutely real because God rewards faith. And you might think, well, what about Paul? I want to have a sign. I want to have a sign that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, Paul did get the Damascus Road experience, but he was the exception. Don't make the exception the rule. And secondly, Paul wrote Romans, which was justification by faith. What are you waiting for this morning? Your six days might be ticking. And I ask you, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I ask you this morning, church, are we living like it? Are we living like it? The, next, the third point is this. And this for me was the most beautiful. I never saw it before. But it's true. Is that on this wonderful second coming last day as Martha calls it is the word of God is going to be vindicated now I always thought the second coming is being all about Jesus but did you notice when we opened up in Mark chapter 8 verse 38 it says if anyone is ashamed of me and my words my words it's not just the man that's going to be vindicated when he comes again, but his message. And I'll tell you where the flack comes from being a Christian in postmodern society. Oh, it's always been the same. Is people like Jesus. He's a nice guy. I mean, he says to the lady who sinned, you know, anyway, they love anyone who sinned first, let them cast, anyone who's without sin, let them cast the first stone. Oh, the world applauds. Brilliant. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, all these protests that we see about even this, the importance of, of, of having a sense of dignity in humanity, it all comes from Jesus. But friends, today, where we get flack is not for the person of Jesus Christ. It's his message. And we are in a crisis as a church because we think we can worship the man, but we can change his message. And I want to remind you this morning that not only Jesus Christ is going to be honored on that day, but every word that has been given to you and me through the Holy Spirit, this written word, the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, unpacked through the apostles and authors, of the, and the pointing to of Jesus through all these years, not only the man, but the centrality of the message around who he is, what he's done, and where this is all going, is going to be honored on that day. And that's why there's this weird moment when Christ unzips his fullness for Peter, James, and John. There's this presence of Elijah and Moses there too. Elijah represents all of the Old Testament prophets. 
Moses represents the first five books of the Bible, the law. And what he's saying there is that the whole of Scripture is present at the moment when Christ's glory is revealed. And what they are doing is something profound. They're talking. Moses and Eli, and by the way, Moses did get to see the promised land in the end because he put his feet right where it was in Israel. But anyway, that's another sermon for another time. But I wanted to point this out. What does it mean that these two were chatting with Jesus? It means that they are having fellowship. It means that they are in harmony. There is a syncretism. There is a, there is a beautiful synergy between the Scriptures and Christ. They're talking. And you know what they're talking about? Matthew tells us in chapter 17, they're talking about Christ's exodus, about the cross. And if you know the Scriptures, you can see the union of this incredible message to the world right from the Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the very end. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice. I wanted to share a story about a, an Iraqi girl who studied with me at pharmacy, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ, a Muslim. And she started to read the Bible for the first time, and you know what she said? She said, Matthew, there's blood on every page. I mean, Mark was bemoaning the fact that he had to read Leviticus. He's learning a lot, but part of it is, it is dripping with blood. And friends, for this Iraqi girl, she could see, man, it's a sacrifice for this sin, it's a sacrifice for this, uh, this offering, sacrifice, it's just blood and blood and blood and blood and blood. Even Adam and Eve had to be clothed with animal skins and, and there had to be a shedding of blood for the clothing of, of the removing of shame. And friends, this morning, what the scriptures will point you to, that the blood of goat, boats, go, go, boats and bulls, <laughs> goats and bulls, are insufficient for the remission of sin. Praise God. Imagine, imagine if we had to start the day. Oh, I couldn't do it. This little bookie. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you had to paint everything with blood. Can you imagine? The, 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 let me tell you, for an Israelite, and for these, these, these disciples looking back, they could see, man, this is something special. And today, the law foreshadows to Christ. When, when Jesus opens up the scriptures on the road to Emmaus, he shows everything concerning himself. These scriptures, church, they are such a blessing. And he's got more to say. When the Father says, hey, disciples, listen to him. He's got more to tell you. The New Testament's about to be birthed. This unpacking of the faith, faith, faith one deliver, once delivered to the saints. The glory of the Bible pointing to the glory of Jesus Christ is going to be vindicated on the day he comes again. And the obvious application is, friends, how much do you live by the glory of God's word? Please don't yawn. Because in the end, if you live a life in obedience to God's word, your obedience will be vindicated just like Christ was vindicated for his obedience to every word that came from the mouth of the Father. You know what the blessing is for me? In a world which is so confused about anything that's possibly or absolutely true, we have a light. You know, when Peter looks back on this in his life, in 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks about being there, 
He says, hey, we got to see the glory of Jesus. We, got to, we were eyewitnesses of his majestic glory. And when the, the beautiful, glorious voice said, this is my beloved, he says, it was great. Ah, but he goes on to say in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The transfiguration confirmed the word even more. Elijah and, and, and Moses were there, and Jesus' words were there. It, it was an added confirmation of the Bible. And you know what he says? to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, until that day comes. Oh, and the morning star. Isn't the morning star wonderful? It arises on the, the horizon first, before the sun comes up, even now, before that great day comes, as you read Scripture, the revelation of His Word, the joy of having this guidance of the Spirit is coming, to, and your morning star in your heart begins to rise, oh, before the great and glorious day when God's Word will be vindicated. And the obvious question is, what is your relationship to the Word of God? You will only read it if you believe it. You will only give yourself to its message if you believe it is true. And let me tell you, as somebody who spent, I did five years to finish my four years degree, you know, at the end of all that studying, the bottom line is just believe the Bible. You know what? I, it, I, it was exhausting. This morning, Joy can attest to it. You have to go through all the arguments why it might not be true. Let me tell you, none of them, none of them stand. Believe it. Are you reading it? Do you see it as this lamp in a dark world? There is one place you can be assured of finding truth. You need some help. You need teachers. But that's why James says, be careful, teachers, because if you teach the wrong stuff, you're going to be judged more strictly. But friends, what are you looking to as your lamp in this life? Is it postmodernism fuzziness? Oh, I just feel good today, therefore Jesus must be near. Is it a sense of, oh, today I believe because I can see God's goodness, but tomorrow I don't because I don't see it anyway? Let me tell you, being a part of my Thursday morning small group, seeing these 60, 70, and 80-year-olds live all their lives rooted in God's Word, it's a life lived well. And when I watch these great saints, seeing glory come closer and closer, it spurs me on to say, Matthew, you believe this all the more because at the end of the day, friends, God's word is going to be vindicated. We're getting a lot of flack around sexuality. We're getting a lot of flack around what gender. We're getting a lot of flack about all these things. Let me tell you, postmodernism is going to pass by, but the word of the Lord is going to stand forever. What are you going to live your life by? I'll give you a little example. You know, I was studying pharmacy. I was in my third year, no, possibly fourth year, and I went into Cecilia Makawane to do an internship for a couple of days. And they were treating an, an AIDS patient. It was an antifungal therapy that I had just learned in my textbook. And I could tell them the exact regime to use in order to prevent its awful side effects. You know, I went, I went, with, I went to the head pharmacist and I said, you know, this is, this is what we should be doing this. I checked the script. He goes, my boy, that's already out of date. I am studying the latest. Friends, the world changes its mind all the time. Let me tell you, God doesn't. And for you this morning, your life will be measured by how seriously you take the word of God. Why? Because the man and the message of Jesus Christ is one. 
You can't separate worship of Jesus and then say, I'm going to change his message. Today, church, can we just bank something in our hearts? Can we rest our heads easy upon the Bible and believe it? Sure, there's some questions. There's a bit of haziness from time to time, but nothing really earth-shattering. Nothing that, that the grace over 2,000 years of saints interpreting Scripture can't help us with. Even the mystery, the mystery works in real life. We're not afraid of saying we don't know, but when we live by it, it works. I ask you this morning, are you fretting about Omicron? Are you fretting about government? Are you fretting about postmodernism? You know, I had this thought praying this last week. Isn't it hilarious? I think, Matthew, don't you read history? Of course you remember. 40 years ago, it was modernism that was the big problem. Before that, it was the brotherhood of man and science. Before that, it was the, 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 the they call it the enlightenment. The church goes through all these things, but what is stood is the word of God. Postmodernism is going to fall. Not a good way to live your life. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Those flowers that you walked into were from the funeral yesterday. So beautiful. Smells so lovely. And as I was picking them up at the end of the service, I remembered the scripture, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Oh! I want to get this word of God in my heart. I want these men to preach powerfully from this pulpit that I can be changed through the application of the Holy Spirit upon an anointed, living, active word. Do you? Time is too short to be giving ourselves to things that, don't, or that are always changing, that are always giving us fuzzy answers, feeling answers that doesn't give us the solid bedrock to live our lives on. No, friends, the word of God is going to tell us we're going to win. And when we believe it, will be vindicated in it. My last point, oh, I'm enjoying myself this morning. How can you not? The transfiguration tells us this is Jesus coming. The fourth is, for me, the glorious, most glorious of all, is the transfiguration teaches us at the second coming, the final stage of victory will be ushered in. Mm. They have a strange moment when they come down the mountain and they see. <laughs> Jesus says, don't you tell anybody what you've just said. By the way, I, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't have done that. Part of it is an ego thing. I'm sure I would have gone to the other disciples and said, you didn't make it, I did. <laughs> Where's your faith? I'm his favorite. But it wasn't time. And listen to Joey's sermon and Mark's sermon. They'll explain it beautifully. I won't go down that road. But do you see that there are stages to this kingdom? Right at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's come with this king. It's come in this incarnation. That's why we make much of Christmas. Is because it was the ushering in of this king's kingdom coming in his very person. And then it moves forward at the cross. You, in Revelations, you see that, that, that this beast, this, this, this Satan gets cast down. There's a victory at the cross. But it's not finished yet. And that's why he talks in stages. He says, yes, Elijah has come. The very last verse of your Old Testament is Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It talks about Elijah coming again to restore all things. And we know in Matthew's account that Elijah has come. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Praise God to restore all things. What does that mean? Getting things ready for the restoration by Jesus Christ's coming. Oh, the cross has happened. There's been an ascension which enabled the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But it's not finished yet. 
there's going to come a day when the fullness of the kingdom will come in power. And why does that matter to you and me today? Friends, the cross and the suffering of Jesus would never have made ultimate sense without the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because it would have meant a status quo would have been left for perpetu- for, for per- in perpetuity. There we go. Got to choose easier words. Forever. Because what would happen is this. Is, yeah, we would have forgiveness of sin in heaven, but sin would persist. Sickness would persist. Rebellion against God. Suffering. Does Jesus Christ get glory from that? No, my friends. The second coming is going to usher in an age where the fullness of the power of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the new heavens and the new earth are going to be implemented. And friends, it's going to be a final victory. Sin will be abolished. Sickness will be abolished. Suffering will be abolished. Oh, never to rear its head again. What does that mean for you and me today? It means we have to be patient. You know, as much as I am sympathetic for putting your faith in God for healing every time, as much as I'm sympathetic for people asking for God's blessing now, heavenly blessing, money, whatever, now, before, I'm sympathetic to trusting in a generous God. I want you to hear that this morning. But what I cannot agree with is we are not living in the fullness of the kingdom yet which means that healing is not automatic. You're not walking in that fullness yet. Your lovely house in heaven, I I, I agree. If Jesus has prepared a place for you, it's going to be something special. But you're not living in that yet. And we have to disagree and say, hyper-faith, guys, where you think you can switch on the fullness of the kingdom because you're living in it already, It, it is not here yet in fullness. It will come. I agree that one day, the King of kings and Lord of lords will abolish all sickness, will abolish all, all poverty, will abolish all class systems that discriminate. He will bring the perfect heaven and the perfect earth together in which righteousness dwells. We're not there yet. Sometimes you can have flashes of it. We pray for it. Sometimes when you pray, it happened the other day. We prayed for someone and they were healed. It is a moment like the transfiguration, when the Christian is to remember, it's coming. It's coming. Friends, I could go on and on, but this morning I want you to settle in your heart to say this. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? Do you know you will share His honor on that day if you have faith in Him? This will not be your position when He comes. There's Jesus. You know what will happen? It will be a public, it will be a visible rapture. There's no secret rapture. What will happen, according to Thessalonians, is when the trumpet sound blasts, and the heavens open, you will be called up with all the glorious saints. Your mom, your dad, your granny, your grandpa that had faith in Jesus, they'll be there, and you will join the ranks of the army of God, the people of God, under their leader, and he's going to come down, and he's going to establish his rule and reign upon a new heavens and upon a new earth, and forever and ever, you will come ushering in the kingdom with Jesus. You won't be coming and saying, oh, that's Jesus. No, you'll be with him. And friends, what a glorious day it's going to be. Are you ready? 
when you pray, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is. You are praying for God to hasten the day. You are praying right now that it will come in your experience. But you are saying, Jesus, come, King of kings, Lord of lords. Church, today, I ask you, your life, your life, think of it right now. Are you spurred on to live for this day? And if you had a look at your life, would he be pleased with what he sees? could be six days where we will be feasting in the presence of Jesus. I have to ask you though, are you ready? If you are afraid of dying, you have not yet seen the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is anybody here afraid of death? It's a good sign you haven't felt the victory of it in your heart. Is anybody here with a guilty conscience? You're going... I don't know if I really live for him. The thing you must settle first is not whether you're living for him, it's whether you believe in him. Because it's him inside of you that gives you the grace to stand. And Christians, I want to remind you, he's a generous savior. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if anybody has got a guilty, you could have come in here this morning feeling so guilty. It happened to me. Can I tell you what happened this morning before I had to come and preach? My kids were fighting. The one kicked the other in the ribs into the wall. Do you think it produced this wonderful Jesus overflow? I am preaching on the transfiguration. Let me tell you, I walked out of there going, Oh, Lord, have mercy. And I got it. Because Christians, we are living under the blood. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, do you think he's going to be an unfaithful shepherd to you? But he's going to require your heart. There are many voices and there are many things we'd like to attach ourselves to. But let it be the things that are eternal. Let it be the King of Kings today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anybody this morning who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the most urgent and pressing question. We will answer on that day, but we can answer now by faith. And if you are here this morning and you have not confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, which means this, you must confess with your mouth that He is Lord. He is not like any other prophet or any other philosopher or anyone else on YouTube that gives good advice. He's not on the same level where you pick and choose. You say He is Lord. He is Lord of creation and He is Lord of me. And you must believe with your heart that He was raised from the dead. That means for you, His sacrifice was acceptable to God. He is your only hope. You must be able to say, not just with your head, but with your heart, Jesus, you are my only hope. I'm running to you this morning as my only hope. You need to tell Him that with your mouth and you need to wrap your heart around that in faith. And you'll be saved. You need to do that now. Oh, but Lord, we need to move on from that space. And I want to pray for us as a church this morning. 
we would not be short-sighted. We would not count the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this world. Such a space where it chokes a love for you and a confidence of your word in our hearts. Glory is coming. Give us eyes to see it, to live for it. And, and Lord, I pray, like you said for Peter, you didn't say, oh, Peter, you're going to deny me and I'm going to take it all away. I, I've overruled it. I pray that you wouldn't go through it. No, no, you pray that his faith would not fail. And I pray the same for us this morning. Lord, if you have not removed the trial, I'm grateful, Lord, you are praying in heaven that our faith, which will be vindicated on that day, would be strengthened and nourished in the certainty that we put our faith in the Savior who is already won and he's mopping up the last final battles and greater is he that is in me than he's in the world that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that this King of Kings is supplying what I need victoriously not a maybe and that every little bit of our days are mapped out this morning with perfect design and you're calling us to stand. I pray for wisdom. Pray for a fresh love and desire to live for you, to make every moment count. And I pray today, Lord, I pray that you'd give us an increasing anticipation of this great day, that we wouldn't be caught like those five virgins sleep, or actually all of them were sleeping, but that, Lord, we'll be awake and alert to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to look to Jesus in this song. I want you to think of these words. He's there now. You are saying, I'm beholding him by faith. But as we sing this, I want you to be reminded we're going to behold him with our sight. Before the throne of God strong and perfect plea. The great high priest's name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me then depart. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt with 